You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Something Rather Than Nothing. And for this episode, uh, have the great pleasure of talking to Jordan Marie Brings Three White Horses, uh, Daniel, who um, is uh, a runner and uh, was, you know, visibly noticed uh, by her um, uh, running in the in the Boston Marathon uh, with the red um uh, hand uh, over the mouth, painted red hand over the mouth, and uh, MMIW um, painted um, on our legs. And um, as listeners might know, um, we've had a few episodes on uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women, uh, girls, and Two Spirit uh, recently. And uh, it's with great pleasure um, that I welcome you, uh, Jordan, to something rather than nothing. Now, Jordan. You um uh you uh were you know kind of got into a lot of national press around um around around your action and advocacy for MMIW, but first of all, we're just wondering um what were you like as as a young child? Um, did you run? Were you interested in art? Were you an activist? Or how do you see yourself back then? Um, when I was little, I was living with my Teoshbae, my family, in Lower Brule, um, the Lower Brule Sioux Tribe, Kulichasha Oyate, in South Dakota, until I was nine. So I was surrounded by my family and community, but my other nickname um, was called Bossy Jordan. So um, <laughs> that's kind of speaking to the personality of little Jordan way back then, um, just kind of rounding up all the cousins, going out, playing in the river playing cars, playing games, getting dirty, doing whatever, you know, kids do. But it was such an amazing and beautiful time because I was surrounded by my culture and my family. And that's all that I knew. And running didn't really happen until I was 10 years old. But by that time, I was already living in Maine for the for the first year. Um, my dad had an opportunity to teach out there. So we took it. And so it was the summer that we came back to visit after we moved where my grandfather, who is a running legend himself, took me on my first run. And that's when I realized, you know, I want to do this um, because it's a, a family tradition. It felt like I'm a fourth generation runner. So it was really awesome to run with one of my heroes. And at the same time, I kind of questioned his sanity and runner's sanity because he took me on my first run and it was downhill. And then to get back home, it was all uphill and I just hated it (laughs) and, um, kept doing running and competing and, and middle school and high school. Um, but it wasn't until college that I truly found it for myself and fell in love with it and, and really just have grown to appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Um, and I know how running can be so important, uh, to runners and and I've known a lot of runners um for you I mean what 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 has running done for you running has taught me patience it's taught me humility it's also taught me you know community it's a it can be an individual sport and you can have your own goals and aspirations whether it's anywhere from the olympic level to just a very personal goal Um, But it also has taught me 
you know, how to heal. And it was my way to kind of disconnect from school or work or anything kind of that was going on in my life where I could just connect with myself, get on the trails, get on the pavement, wherever I was, that this time was for me to connect to myself, to connect with my surroundings and to kind of just recenter myself and put things back into perspective. But it's also the same thing. It can bring me anxiety and it can bring me stress too, especially when you're training for something and things aren't going right or it's kind of, you know, all correlating with everything happening all at once. Um, And so you can kind of feel it in your running. But at the same time, it's just what I love at the end of the day. And it's been in our family and that's one of my biggest memories is just like pastime conversations, talking about races and analyzing, you know, paces and cadence and everything that goes into running, especially, you know, knowing my grandpa, he, he, his mind was like a working stopwatch. And so it was just a way to continue this family legacy, um, and to have a growing appreciation of, of running and what it allows for you to do. Yeah, I um, uh, and I want to move to um the the Boston uh, Marathon. I um, I, I went for the first time. My brother invited me. Uh, he ran for Bentley University, and I think there was a spot on something like the twenty first or twenty second uh, uh, mile that the alumni had. And uh, honestly, at first, I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go to a mar- like, what do you do at a marathon? Like, I, I, I just hadn't been to one. And then um, what I connected to was that there was this just great, it was great fun to be a spectator and to cheer folks on or see what they were running for or who they were running for. It was just one of the more inspiring uh, events I've, uh, I've, I've ever been to. And um, I want I want to ask you about your experience of the marathon and connected to that, um, your advocacy on uh, missing and murdered in indig- uh, indigenous women. Could could you tell a little bit about the marathon itself, your connection to it, but also what you did? Yeah, I mean, kind of just to give it some background, you know. That happened in 2019, April 2019, and for probably since 2017 is where I really actively committed to wanting to learn more about this epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirits and relatives. And it was a conversation that I first ever learned about it happening when we were fighting pipelines, fighting against the Keystone XL pipeline, fighting against the Dakota Access pipeline, and other pipelines that are happening in North America where they have man camps and those man camps bring high rates of violence, especially along the communities um, that are indigenous that are near those pipelines. And so I started seeing this kind of correlation between the violence against the earth and violence against women and how it is connected. And um, it's, it's creating this, you know, unsettling feeling and, and not having safety within our communities and feeling like, especially indigenous women having targets on our backs. And so with, with the death of Savannah LaFontaine Greywind in um, August 2017, it was, you know, reading the story and hearing about what happened to her is so gruesome. And I just couldn't believe people were capable of doing this to someone. And so that was kind of like 
I threw everything on the ground, threw my hands up in the air and was like, enough is enough. Like I need to not just share and retweet and like, or, or just donate. Like I need to be proactive and try and organize and be a voice to support the families, to support the advocates that have been doing this work for decades and to just do my part as a community member, as an indigenous woman to help make, you know, our communities safer and to, have these conversations of dismantling racism and white supremacy and all of that. Cause it's all rooted in these traumas and these, these really devastating realities that are for indigenous people and happening to us. And so that next year in 2018 at the San Diego half marathon, I decided to dedicate my bib number to MMIW hashtag, hoping it would spark conversation. And it did after I finished but it wasn't enough. And it only ever felt like, you know, indigenous folks were talking about this issue um, within our own circles, that it wasn't really being seen or talked about or cared about outside of our circles. So I kept organizing and advocating and supporting those um, for the next year. And then 2019 in March, um, I ran the San Diego half marathon, did the same thing again, dedicated it to MMIWG for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And it sparked conversations again, but nothing really like came out of it. And it kind of just got so frustrating because I see all the hard work that's happening and I see legislation being created and proposed and then being shut down by one Republican or um, just not having this understanding and awareness about indigenous communities and what we're fighting so hard for every single day um, that a month later when it came time for the Boston Marathon, at that point I was kind of falling into this kind of negative thinking of no one cares about Native people. No one cares about if we're dying and going missing. You know, our we fight so hard for visibility and we're fighting so much for justice that's, you know, not just focused on MMIW and girls and, and two spirits and women, but like it just got to the point where I just like, you know what, like I need to do something that's for them. And that's where I decided to, to dedicate my whole marathon and dedicate a prayer to 26 missing or murdered indigenous women and girls, where I said a prayer at the beginning of every mile for them, said their name out loud, put it out into the universe and said a prayer for them, said a prayer for their families, their communities, and for all of our communities, because this violence is not happening in just the United States. It's happening in Canada. You have the Highway of Tears. It's happening in Mexico because, you know, our indigenous communities, you know, we don't recognize or acknowledge colonial borders like this is happening to all of our relatives. And this is just my way to share my passion with them because running is the only thing I know how to do really aside from like just being a community organizer. But I thought that that would be the most intentional space to give them to remember them and to let them know that, you know, I am one of many, you know, relatives that are looking for them are thinking of them and that, you know, we're not going to forget them. And so that was just my way to, you know, give up something that I have always looked at as being my space, just running and like running for a fast time. And especially at Boston marathon where it's so amazing 
dancing and the spectators are so like awesome and the energy there. But I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to run for them and, you know, give up kind of that selfishness that happens with running in your own personal goals. And so I just wanted that time to be for them. And I thought the best way to do it would be to paint the letters on my arms and legs and put the red handprint over my mouth to symbolize the the violence that's silencing our relatives and who no longer can speak for, for themselves anymore. Um, it was really heavy and emotional and you could feel the weight as you're just going running through the course. And, you know, thank goodness it was the Boston Marathon because the energy kind of like helped keep me going at the same time and being able to see my partner and my mom on the course multiple times too was an added bonus. But, um, it was a really like humbling and, you know, beautiful experience. And it's something I I don't regret and something that I've committed myself to running for justice until I no longer have to. And I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime, but um, I know myself, Rosalie, and so many other folks are are doing the work that they can to to try and end this injustice. Yeah, um, and, and and thank you, thank you so much for your for your thoughts. And I, I think it was just um, I was quite moved of the you know with with the twenty six miles and the dedication you know the dedication that each uh, it's just a, such a profound you know, act. Uh, and it was, it was very moving to read about that. Cause I, I read about, um, it, your comments about what you were, what you were doing there. Um, and I, I think the awareness, I think as far as the awareness, I know that's, you know, a debate within activism, you know, it's kind of awareness and then doesn't move you, um, to, to act. If we could take the, the, the physical paint and, and the, the, the symbol there, and um, I know you're an activist, uh, could you talk a bit about maybe the role of, of, of the visual or of, of art uh, within uh, activism itself? Yeah, I, I mean, specifically for the run, you know, I chose red because it represents the movement. And it represents, you know, our earth and it's just something that I felt really connected to. And I thought it was a great way to express and give visibility to to this movement and this injustice. And it's not just that specific kind of art. Like I, as I've like told you before, I, I believe running is its own art form and you know, so many people are running for many different reasons and for causes and for someone. Um, and so we all have our own purpose within it. And so that's what motivates us and keeps us going and, and keeps our, you know, creativity going within the sport. And, you know, I think art is such a beautiful way to tell the story, to portray the message. And ever since then, and even before, you know, I, I know amazing, you know, muralists and, you know, artivists, you know, especially now during Black Lives Matter and, and what's happening in, in all of our cities and fighting, you know, for, for justice and equality and equity. And, um, you know, we have indigenous artists that have been making beautiful artwork 
to show the magnitude of what this injustice of the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women is having in our communities and what it's representing and telling it in a way where it's just kind of like stops you in your tracks as you're walking, you know, in a city or wherever you are and you just see this amazing, powerful image and a majority of them have the red handprint. And it's just something that is a great way to tell those that may not come from our communities, like what's going on. Um, I've had people reach out to, to me saying like, you know, I saw this mural and I saw the red handprint and I saw like the artist and a hashtag and I just, you know, started Googling them on Instagram and, you know, entering the tags in. And I just learned so much just from the hashtags and like finding people of who we can support and donate or, you know, whatever. And I just think it's such a great and beautiful way to, to raise awareness about the things that we care about um, and doing it in a way that will invoke action that will get that curiosity going. Um, and, I, and I think now we are definitely in a time where people are wanting to hold themselves accountable and willing to, to learn, to unlearn and relearn um, so that they can become allies, that they can become advocates with us and support us in these movements. Uh, Jordan, I, I, I wanted to, um, to ask you, you had mentioned, um, you know, as far as this, uh, time here within the pandemic and with with COVID, and um, one of the dynamics that that we've seen uh, and is being demonstrated is that in in our you know American uh, society with um, this just just really uh, disparate um, racial uh, class and and economic uh, disparities that exist that we see kind of uh, problem, problematic like health outcomes, uh, water, quality of water, things like that, and uh, kind of, a, of a, just a simple and profound and alarming uh, disparate impact on Native um, communities. Now, I, I know you've done some, some, some work on that. Could you, could you mention a few things as far as with your advocacy, what those efforts are like uh, now in the pandemic? I mean, everything has gone virtual, which I see, you know, having its benefits, having its benefits to have a bigger reach um, rather than it being very community based. Um, but having those opportunities to center those in the community talking about what's going on with pipelines um, or oil wells in their backyard, like the many oil wells we have in L.A., um, and talking about pipelines that are, you know, going through North and South Dakota, that Kinder Morgan and, you know, so many other projects, dirty infrastructure projects happening um, across the country. And during this pandemic, I think it's allowed people to, you know, get creative and to organize virtually to, to mobilize people, to help educate, to create that awareness. And so, a lot of the things that I, I'm doing right now, it's, I mean, it's definitely difficult and I would rather be more in person um, and being able to visit these communities. Um, but it's just, you know, I'm on the indigenous, um, no, I'm on the intersectional environmentalism council. And so that's where, you know, we are advocating for justice and, um, you know, both for the people and the planet because everything is, you know, interconnected and um, kind of giving visibility 
to those coming from our, the, the frontline communities, marginalized communities, the BIPOC communities um, that are kind of being more heavily impacted by these dirty infrastructure projects and, um, you know, racial, you know, injustice, uh, socioeconomic injustice and, and everything in between. And so it's just creating this really opportunity to have these panel discussions, to have these interviews or podcast interviews or live recordings to be able to talk about, you know, what's happening. And we just had amazing news about the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone XL Pipeline. And I, I know that like Indian Collective and Mark Tilson are creating this amazing campaign as well as uh, Indigenous Environmental Network created this amazing like post and campaign, you know, about the native people, especially coming from a Cheti Shikoli from that region, you know, are, are going to be serving DAPL and KXL their eviction notice because it's time for them to go. Yeah, and, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, and I think it's so great. And so I think, I think we're now all realizing the power of, I guess, social media. I mean, it may look, not look like it, but like I really don't like social media. It just sucks up so much time. And it is a full-time job, basically. But, you know, it does allow for that opportunity for, for engagement, for um, community togetherness, even if it's virtually. And that's happening not just within our frontline movements, but that's happening even with the running community, with virtual races happening. And I, I hosted one a few weeks ago to, to fundraise um, for COVID relief support because we're helping to deliver masks to Indigenous communities that are being impacted. And um, especially with what we're seeing in Navajo Nation, um, you know, the high rates of positive infection, as well as, you know, the heartbreaking deaths, you know, those are our knowledge keepers. A lot of them are our elders. And so we need to do what we can to to not only keep our communities safe, but really protect our elders because they hold that knowledge that, that we need that needs to be passed down. And so having those opportunities to go virtual just creates for such a beautiful opportunity of still like camaraderie and, and togetherness and being able to support one another and being able to, to learn from one another. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Um, what, one of the things I wanted to ask um, is it, it, it's related to running, but it's art as well. I was wondering if you could t tell me from your perspective in the reference to, you know, the art of running, what's the art of running in, in, in connected to that? One of the big questions I tend to ask, what is, what is art itself? You know, I think, I think we're all our own versions of art and how we express ourselves and what we do within our own lives. I think we're all our own, like, art pieces and we're, we're the master of creating that and, and improving and, um, and always ever changing. But I think just, you know, having grown up with running all my life and attending so many races and watching races on TV, I've always been so mesmerized by watching runners. It's an art form of how they make it look so simple or so easy and the way their arms are moving and the way their legs are planting on the ground and their facial expressions and you can see when they're struggling or when they're in that you know flow state of mind of you know this is perfect like no pain I'm gonna just put the hammer down and just push it like you can just see so much expression in running and 
um, whether that's looking at the shoulders and seeing how tense they are or loose they are, or looking at how their hands are more relaxed or more tense and being able to just visually see a runner and what they're doing um, out there on the track or on the trails or on the roads, I think is just so beautiful. And we all have, you know, our own form in how we run and it's what we were born with. It's how we began running and it's kind of what we've stuck with, you know, our, our whole running career or lives. And so I think it's just a beautiful way to have representation, especially for communities, you know, of color. Um, you know, I, I, I take my role as being a runner as not just trying to run for fast times, but it's also a way to, to represent my community, our communities for our next generations. Um, it's also a way for us to have these discussions, um, and of, of what's happening in our communities with the running community. And for me, there's no one that's ever been more accepting of, of, of me and the things that I've had to say than the running community. And I, I, I feel bad that I didn't give them enough credit, um, at the 2019 Boston marathon, because I had that attitude of like, no one cares. And after I made that post talking about the prayers and who I ran for and just the amount of support that came right after, you know, was incredible. And I don't know. I just, I've always found running as its own art and, you know, we all are kind of the masters of, of that art. Yeah. And, and, and I just wonder if I could have a, uh, ask you a follow-up to that as far as what you had expected the reaction to be of fellow runners and what, what it actually was. The re, the reaction when, you know, the more positive reaction or the element that you were surprised, do you think that was correlated to any aspect of like the runner's personality or how runners are? No, I think it was just, I was, I think I was including the reactions or the, the lack of reactions coming from just the communities outside of that, of what I was used to working in and advocating in and like, going up against white supremacists and going up against people who just have that mentality of like, well, it's not affecting me. Like, why should I care? Um, and just feeling like native people are invisible. And so for running, I never felt like it was about my skin color. It felt like it was the only place where as long as I showed up as Jordan and showed up on the start line and came across the finish line and it was about my integrity and the hard work that I put in, like that's how I was perceived and judged. Um, so, and that it wasn't about my skin color, but anywhere outside, outside of that, it felt like my skin color definitely had an impact and made a difference, um, and had judgment. And so I think, I just kind of carried that negative notion of no one cares into this community. And I, I should have gave them more credit um, because I, I do see the running community doing so much within our own circles and raising funds to, for, for cancer research or, or pulling behind a runner, you know, who is having health complications and, you know, the, all of these GoFundMes or these programs created to support a native youth program or, anything like that. And like, especially now with what we're seeing with Tom, um, Tommy 
Um, he is a trail runner right now, and he just was diagnosed with this really rare form of cancer in his lungs. And they all were thinking it was COVID because it was he was having a hard time breathing. But just seeing how the running community has just come right full front force, like with the amount of support and the funding that was created, um, you know, allowed for his family to like not have to suffer financially right now. Um, and just the amount of messages and love that's being sent and prayers that are being said for, for him and his family, I think is just really beautiful. And so we all kind of have this mentality to, to be drawn to these people and to want to support them and help them, even if you don't know them. Yeah. And it, and that's very inspiring. I find that, um, you know, and, and I am using you as an example, as far as the 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 inspiring acts of uh, of advocacy and in humanity um, that that can come out of uh, that activism is 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 like this antidote or this or this helpful like um, just so helpful because it's it's coming out of these situations that are just so rife with you know injustice ignorance and in 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 racism so it's just really wonderful to see. The transformation, I for me, the transformation of that energy into um, uh, folks connecting w- w- with the cause, and you know, just kind of putting our hands together and hoping uh, for for progress. Yeah. Um, I mean, running is bringing people together that have never been runners. Um, that's something that I'm seeing too, especially during this pandemic. Is like now because gyms are closed and. You know, people can't go, you know, get their fitness in. A lot of people have, you know, come to terms with, I guess I'll be a runner. Um, And so I'm seeing a lot more people taking on running and, you know, asking for advice or anything like that or sharing their experiences, I think is really, really great. And um, what happened in May, uh, you know, I ran a prayer run on May 5th on National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, right? Dedicated 27 miles and 27 prayers to indigenous women, girls, men, and two spirits. And then a few days later, you know, everyone came together and ran for Ahmaud Arbery, 2.23 miles, Um, you know, who is, you know, a black man who is out for a run, enjoying something that he loves um, and, you know, was murdered. And so it raised that question of, you know, runner safety, especially for the BIPOC community. Um, but I, on that day, especially, I saw so many people that have never run before in their lives, you know, commit themselves to wanting to run in this virtual solidarity action. Um, and I just thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. And I, I know, um, uh, and I, am connecting to the, just that the, the courage around running, I know, like, even without getting into any social or political elements, you know, running in a running in a car based, you know, world is a danger to begin with. Right. And then, you know, then there's other components of, you know, um, you know, of a vulnerability when, when you're running that of course, women are very, very familiar with. Um, but, uh, so it's just that type of, it, it tends to be an act and an activity, um, that, you know, it has to be this awareness of it and, and you know, kind of care and, and, and taken with it. Um, yeah, I know I've seen a lot a lot of that as well as far as runners. And I myself, when the uh, pandemic started, um, started walking, like dedicated walking each day, three to eight miles, 
each day. And I felt the changes, you know, just within that. And it's helped me just institute a positive, useful way to walk and think, you know, each day amidst everything else that we're seeing. Um, and I know runners know that kind of, uh, you know, that movement in that uh, mind-body uh, connection is can help create health, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's also a way of healing for people, too. I'm, I'm noticing because, you know, during this pandemic, people are experiencing, you know, depression and all of these other mental health, you know, kind of, you know, problems that they maybe have never experienced before in their lives. Um, that are turning to going out for walks and, and going out for runs for the first time. Um, I think it's just a beautiful way for, for self-care and self-healing, um, especially when you can kind of like detach the whole running's only for like competitiveness and like to be fast or whatever. But running is not about that at all. Running is about is so much more than just that. Um and I, I, I think people, because of this pandemic, are, are, are realizing that, are seeing it as it is a health benefit. It is good to get your body moving and, and connecting with yourself and your surroundings and pulling yourself out of the kind of every single day, like groundhog moments of, you know, it feels like you're just having the same day every single day um, and don't know what to really look forward to because this pandemic is still happening and it's going to be happening for a while. And so I think it's just a great way for people to, to connect and to, to practice self-care and self-heal. Yeah. Um, I had a question, uh, Jordan, as far as um, the, your global run ambassador for Lulu Lemon. What, what's a global run ambassador? Yeah, so I'm their global run ambassador athlete, and basically there to, it's like the one tier below their like actual signed elite athletes, um, but it's just a way for me to kind of have representation within the company, and um, they saw me after my prayer run, Mike, uh, who's the global run, like the global ambassador program manager, and he saw me and reached out and was like, what can I do? What can we do? To support you and the communities that you're coming from. And so um, I had heard about their history um, before, which made me kind of always a little bit hesitant um, just because, you know, their company kind of really focused just on, you know, the white yoga woman and wasn't as inclusive as it could be. And so I, I'm more about action. And so they really showed up for me. And then they offered me the ambassadorship in May in no, in, in February, the day after my birthday. And it's been so incredible. And it's, it's a platform for me to be a voice within this company and to speak to my experiences and experiences that I've heard from other people. And I feel like it's my opportunity and obligation to speak up for them and talk about these experience of how we can make this company and, everything better and inclusive and you know the perfect opportunity that came out of that was what happened with george floyd and lululemon took the opportunity to put out a public statement um which seemed and looked great but they were really vague they didn't say that they were supporting black lives matter um they were really vague 
And a lot of people were commenting, like, what are you standing for? Like, who are you saying you stand for? And I called them out on it. I called them out publicly on their accounts. And I also hit reply all to the VP and uh, and this message that was to all of the ambassadors and employees and the collective of, you know, talked about what they want to do and committed to do and the money that they donated. But I replied all and called them out again and went did a deep dive in talking about white supremacy and racism and the culture and how we need to be inclusive and supporting, you know, especially the Lululemon staff and ambassadors and consultants that are coming from the black, brown and indigenous communities. And so that created this ripple effect along with other voices that spoke up too, that now they created an ambassador advisory board, which I'm one of six on there. And we're all um, of color coming from our own communities. And we have basically oversight of what they're doing, of anything from brand branding and marketing to social media to uh, like clothing and, and whatever. And so they are already committed to doing the work um, and making, you know, really big changes already. But you know, we're, we're there to be voices. We're there to, to give our opinions and our feedback to say, yes, this is great, or this is not enough. Um, and I, I've already brought up experiences coming from other employees that have reached out to me personally on Instagram saying like, thank you so much for being part of this organization. Like, like your voice is going to definitely help make a difference. Or I had this experience and I feel like, you know, this diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings could have been better. Like it just felt like a check in the box. And these are messages that I'm relaying to the CEO and, corporate leadership. And so it's a perfect opportunity to, to help influence this change because I, I believe that they can do better. And so far they're doing everything right. They're doing things to, to make this environment and culture better and more supportive um, and really taking accountability and being very proactive on what they're doing. So I'm really excited. I'm always take it one day at a time. Um, but yeah, it's just been a really supportive and very fun and collaborative relationship. And out of that opportunity too came, I guess, like my first ever billboard of me. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't even know that that was happening. And Mike, uh, the manager, you know, sent me a text and it was a billboard, like a giant billboard of me running um, for one of their campaigns that they launched. And it was so amazing to see because that's what I wanted to see when I was little, when I was a youth runner and it wasn't even about me. It was just about, this is the representation that we need, that the world needs to see. And so it was just really an incredible moment and it was really, really cool. Um, yeah. And it's just a message, at least, you know, coming from my voice is that, you know, this is, speaking to our younger ones, this is speaking to our communities that like we can be in these spaces, we can occupy these platforms and we can be seen and that we are still here and that we are more than the stereotypes that people put on us and think of us. Um, we're runners or teachers, we're volunteers, we're lawyers, you know, we're so many more things. And so this is just, you know, like a, for me, a community celebratory, like, action like this is for all of us and so it was a really amazing opportunity 
Yeah, that sounds great. And I really love to see the 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 billboard. And I, I really connect to what you say as far as, um, you know, that's something you, you wanted to to see when you were younger. I remember seeing a quote, something along the lines of, you know, be the person who you needed when you were younger. Right. So, I mean, it's like um, that that representation has such powerful meaning. I you know, I work uh, for a public education um, teacher union and, and we see, you know, the dynamic between students, staff and um, uh, students of color. And uh, Oregon, where I live, is a very white state because under the Constitution, it was illegal um, for uh, people of African descent to actually reside in Oregon, which actually made it the most uh, restrictive uh, state for, for people of color uh, in the entire country. Uh, so it's not even the South, um, like in that sense. It's, you know, was written into the Constitution. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was gonna say, and it's like also written in the Declaration of Independence of, you know, what natives are, merciless Indian savages. Like, it's all of this, this problematic phrasing and racist thinking um, that create these narratives um, that just have these ripple effects of prejudice and racism that just expand across all communities. And, and that's the hard work that's happening right now is to, to dismantle all of that and to, to rewrite our own narratives so that we are included and that we are there, that we can end this injustice and that there is equality and respect and visibility for our communities. Yeah, and I think one of the th inspiring things about recent events that have happened is, you know, it's 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 easy to be pessimistic about outcomes. But I tell you, there's some there seems to be something different about the younger generation in the sense that the level of activism and the level of rejection of racist thinking uh, seems to be pretty profound. And, um, you know, it, it's inspiring to see that they could be large groups of younger people say, look, we don't want this legacy of the generations before us. We reject it wholehandedly on, on, on all levels. And I'm not saying everybody does. I'm, I'm just saying that there yeah. seems to be more of a, of, of a flood or a flow of that type of energy saying we don't we, we don't want your baggage, older generations. No, I, I love this this generation right now and they give me so much hope and they give me so much inspiration um, to just keep doing this work to even though it can get really mentally and physically and spiritually exhausting but you know it's worth it it's worth it to create you know a better future for our next generations because that's what they did for us our ancestors did they they advocated and fought for the next seven generations and the, that seventh generation is now oh wow Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, Jordan, um, big question. Got a couple more questions for you. The big question of the show and uh, just jump, you know, just jump at this one if you can. Uh, why is there something rather than nothing? Because if it was nothing. The world would not be in a good place. And so it needs to be something, something that we're fighting for, that we're passionate about, that we want to just go after and get it and to create, as they used to keep saying, this ripple effect and influence of change. And so 
you know, I really love that phrase and what your podcast is, uh, is entitled. Um, I was reading that in the email and I was just like, that's actually really good. Just like quote, because that's kind of like my life. It's like, it's, you're either not going to do anything or, or have anything to do, or you're going to do something. And I'm very, I'm one that's very proactive in always thinking about what can, what can we do? What can be done? What's the next thing? How can this improve? Um, because if I, if I didn't, I feel like I'm just not helping. I'm not helping my community. I'm not helping, you know, my family. I'm not helping, you know, our next generations. And so that's what we're doing. I, I, I think our much larger collective of all of our interse- intersecting movements is if we remain inactive and just don't do anything, like nothing is going to change. We're going to keep seeing these injustices happening in our communities in that, you know, those injustices are what's fueling our fire to fight for justice. Yeah. Uh, Before I, before I ask uh, you uh, uh, a a final question around just is the, the sense of how folks can connect with your work and your advocacy. I wanted to make one comment of something that I saw of, um, a, a, a phrase, and I'm going to break protocol here because I didn't ask you how to say this, but I'm going to try to pronounce it um, and, and to take that risk. Um, it had to do when you were talking, and it's a concept that's really powerful to me and really struck me the, the way that you said it. It was an expression around that we are all related, and uh, I think it's Mitakuye uh, Oyasin. Is that correct? The phrase? Oyasin. Uh, thank you. And I, I think for me, I really connected to, to, to that expression. And, and of course, it's meaning that we're all related for me is is kind of like an ethical basis and in, 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 in understanding that there's a connection uh, amongst everybody. And I've talked to, you know, as, as identifying as a white 47 um, year old white male myself that when I'm concerned about the issues that we're talking about in, in other issues, I feel that personally I am injured by a racist society in the sense of the, the type of exclusion, the type of negativity, the type of like, uh, lack of opportunity uh, for others. And I think one of the biggest things is, is that connection amongst each other that, um, and of course, in the labor movement, there's an expression that a, an injury to one is an injury to all, right? Um, but that, that connection that I think is, is so important, and I just thought that was um, a beautiful phrase. Could you pronounce it one more time, Jordan? Itakuye Oyasin. We are all related or all my relations. Uh, thanks for that. Um, uh, Jordan Marie uh, brings three horses. Daniel, um, I was wondering if you could let listeners know how to connect with uh, the advocacy you do, the work that you do, um, or you know, guidance um, or the activism or, or whatever you'd like to share um, with the audience. Um, how they can connect with you and your work? Yeah, so they can follow me on Instagram at native in underscore LA. And there's an email button right on my bio. Um, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'm going to be launching my website, which is going to be jordanmariedaniel.com. I'm just making the final edit. So that's going to just be an amazing resource for everybody that's not just focused on the projects that I'm working on, um, but it's also going to be just a great resource of what's going on in our communities that people can 
be proactive with and learn more about what's happening with these movements and what we're all fighting for um, and helping to give visibility to the amazing, you know, frontline, you know, advocates and organizers in our communities. And so those are going to be great resources um, and a good opportunity to connect with me. And I'm always down for collaboration um, and always down to, to have a, you know, productive um, and respectful conversation and dialogue. Cause I think without that, we won't have the change that's needed. And, and I'm, I'm always, always, always enjoying meeting new people. So that's the best way. Yeah, Jordan, I, I want to say personally, um, for me, having you as, as a guest on this show um, is and has been a, a great honor. I would say that even seeing the visual representation of, of you in the Boston Marathon uh, changed me or the, that, 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 that what that looked like uh, changed me even prior to talking to you. And I think that's some of the power of art, some of the power of um, the work that you do uh, in, in running uh, for change. So I just wanted to extend to you uh, a deep thanks uh, for your time and um, in, in your thoughts, because um, uh, it's been a great pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and having the other amazing, you know, matriarchs and relatives that you've had before me talking about and giving visibility for for missing and murdered indigenous women, girls and two spirits. Yeah. And uh, you're uh, I think you call um, Rosalie Fish, uh, former yeah. guest I've had, your li little sis. Right. And you're a big. Yeah. Tankula. That's uh that's that that's quite the thing i i am i'm happy that uh, i was able to get her on the podcast and it started my uh journey uh talking to rosalie talking talking to jessica mcdermott the author of highway of tears kim gucci um activist up in uh, british columbia and of course uh you uh jordan um thanks again uh for your time and i really hope we get the the chance to, to work together or chat soon Thank you very much. Thank you, Jordan, and have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. You are listening to something rather than nothing.